We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash stronger. ZocDoc dot com slash stronger. On today's episode of Mentally Stronger. One other thing. So last year I had the pleasure of speaking to uh, Terry Crews. He was an NFL player turned host of America's Got Talent. He wrote this book called Tough. And in his adulthood, he developed an addiction to pornography, really didn't like who he was becoming, but he had to hide it. And he said that it was the shame that was just so overwhelming that he didn't dare tell anybody about this horrible secret. He, he worked through it, got treatment, and it was in a much better place. And he said now he keeps a, a picture of his seven-year-old self taped to, uh, or in his wallet or taped to his laptop so that he could look at that. Because he said, whenever I feel like I'm a bad person, I look at that photo and I'm just reminded that I'm still that same person. And that seven-year-old kid wasn't a bad kid. He was completely innocent. And he said, that's one of the most powerful things that helped him. And I keep hearing you talk about healing your inner child as well. How else can we do that? Oh, wow. I love your question. (laughs) It's like, it's always the missing piece. It's like our inner child, if we can talk to our inner child. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international bestselling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. My new book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Couples Don't Do, hits the shelves in just one more week. And I can't wait to see it for sale in a store for the first time. It's my first book about relationships and how our relationships affect mental strength. If you pre-order it before December 26, you get a free month of therapy at BetterHelp and you'll get access to therapy right away because I know that therapy is not always accessible to everyone. You can keep it for yourself or gift it to somebody else this holiday season. A month of therapy normally costs over $300, but I decided to partner with BetterHelp so that I could give it away for free. Just go to amymorinlcsw.com slash couples for more information or click on the link in the show notes. Today I'm talking about shame. Shame is defined as a painful feeling that is a mix of regret, self-hate, and dishonor. 
Sometimes we experience shame based on a mistake that we made, like we cheated or we lied. At other times, it stems from who we are. People might feel shame about the way they grew up or how they live now or even about their family members. And sometimes we feel shame about things that happened to us through no fault of our own, such as in cases of abuse. It's thought that shame served a purpose in the past. It kept us from doing things that would cause us to be ostracized from our tribe. Because that might mean that you get kicked out of the community, and that could be a matter of life or death. It seems to be in our nature to keep anything we feel shame about a secret because we want to be accepted and not be judged. But left unaddressed, shame can lead to a whole bunch of problems like isolation, secrecy, and self-sabotage. Shame's also linked to a lot of mental health issues like depression and anxiety, and it can lead to poorer relationships, including codependent ones. Here to talk about how to cope with shame is Sheila Rubin. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist who hosts workshops on healing shame. She also co-authored a book called Embracing Shame. Some of the things she talks about today are where shame comes from, how to find the courage to talk about things we feel shame about, and strategies for healing from shame. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I share how to apply some of Sheila's strategies to your life today. Here's Sheila Rubin on how to heal from shame. Sheila Rubin, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. I was struck by the title of your book. Your book is called Embracing Shame. As a therapist, for years, I've heard a lot of people talk about shame as something that we should work through, something that we need to get over, not really embracing it. What made you decide to write a book about embracing shame? Um, that's a great topic, too. That's a great question to, um, you know, be starting the conversation with. I had to learn to deal with shame, and I had to deal with my own inner credit years and years and years ago. And so the fact that I had to ah, get to know shame, get to know my inner critic, the fact that I had to embrace my own shame myself before I started even working with clients or being a therapist, just like that is part of my story. And so this book, to be able to embrace shame instead of flushing it down the toilet or sticking it in, you know, the ground or one of my clients is, can it, it drags me down into the ground. Can't we just like, you know, chomp it off or throw it away or something? And it's like, yes. And some of the time, if we learn very, very carefully to work with it, we can embrace it and we can have a different kind of relationship with it. How do you define shame? What is it? Well, for me personally, I found the definition of shame uh, that Gershon Kaufman wrote. Shame is the breaking of the interpersonal bridge 
And when I read his book, and I suddenly understood that the very shy child that I was, always looking down, not making eye contact with the other kids, that broken bridge that happened as a child, that is where the shame would come from. And so in knowing that, that's what it is. I'm a therapist now, so I can fix it in myself. And with my clients, I can say, shame is the breaking of the interpersonal bridge. Guess what? We get to repair it in the sessions between every client and me. We repair the shame by how I, you know, interact with them, by how I, um, you know, ask them about their day. And I'm constantly counter-shaming. And by repairing that bridge, that is where the shame starts to heal between them and me. And then the shame can heal inside a person because when it is broken interpersonally and intrapersonally, both this breaks and this breaks. And we can work on one, we can work on the other, it kind of goes back and forth. Do you think a lot of shame, does it go back to childhood from the way we were raised, from the way our parents perhaps treated us, or the beliefs that we were taught? I love your questions. It's like, yes, that's where the shame comes from. Shame comes from being shamed. And having known that, we can actually go back in time, not with the parent, right now in real life, but in the sessions, I could go back with my clients and we can say, what do you wish you had said to your parent? Or I can imagine I could go back there and protect them from the getting put down by the parent. Often, it isn't even, you know, it, it often it is a misattunement. It's a misunderstanding. The parents are different. They were expecting a different response. And the parent goes into shame, too. And they put the shame, not meaning to, they put the shame on the child. And it's very sad, but there's always good news. And the good news is what happens is we could go back in time and we could shift the relationship with shame. We could shift the relationship with the inner child and shame. Because something I see, I guess, on a practical level is maybe a parent is in the grocery store when they're three-year-old and the three-year-old throws a tantrum. The parents are suddenly worried, I look like a bad parent because I can't control my child. So they end up saying or doing things that then implies you're a bad kid because you're screaming in aisle seven. And, and dragging the kid out of the store and the kid internalizes like, you know, I'm a bad boy or I'm a bad girl, as opposed to maybe they're just hungry or they didn't get enough sleep last night. Is that what you're seeing as well? That is exactly what I'm saying. The misattunement that, you know, the parent is wanting to feel, feel like a good enough parent and they're doing the best they can. If after that happens, they sit down the child with the child and give them a hug and say, I'm really sorry I had to yell at you in aisle seven. That was the last thing I want to do. I love you. And I didn't want to yell at you, but I didn't know what else to do because you were grabbing all these toys or you were grabbing all these groceries. And all I could do is, 
yell at you and pull you out of out of the store. I love you, and I just, you know, I'm sorry that happened. And next time, let's have a plan for aisle seven because we're going to go back to the grocery store next week, and it'll probably happen again. So let's have a plan that when you want something in aisle seven, you wink at me or you talk to me, or we could have a different conversation about what you want, and that way that repairs the bridge, and then they're not broken, and they don't feel broken, but the attachment gets repaired. Does that make sense? It does. So for somebody who says, all right, I was raised by a parent who maybe did some of these things, said some of these things, what do I do about it now? I'm going to try to do better with my kids, yes, but what do I do about my own shame? Boy, I love your questions. These are the questions. These are the real uh, soul-searching questions. This is a parent doesn't want to shame their kid, and yet what they've been learned, what they've learned all their life is to do it the way their parents did it. Nobody knows how to be a good parent. Part of it is to say, if we get it right even 30% of the time, if we're a good parent even 30% of the time, we can develop a secure attachment with a child that's not 100%, that's not 70%. 30% of the time, if they get it right, then the kid is going to have, you know, feel like they matter. So part of it is having attachment, Part of it is counter-shaming, telling the kid what they like about them, telling the kid, you know, what they love about them, telling the kid all of the things that they wish their parent could tell them they can tell their kid now before they go to the grocery store, before they have a meltdown. And they can tell the kid that it's a no-mistake zone. And all their feelings are welcome, just not on aisle seven. If they have big feelings, they can take them in the van or they can take them at home. They can have a tantrum at home. All their feelings are welcome. And I even give a badge for kids for having all their feelings welcome. And then the parents saying, all your feelings are welcome here. Even happiness, sadness, excitement, fun, all these different emotions, including embarrassment, including shame. And by having all of these emotions welcomed by the parent and talked about by the parent, and the parent could even say, you know, I kind of got embarrassed when, you know, I had to pull you out of the store. I was kind of embarrassed and I thought I was going to get reprimanded for being a bad parent. And that's embarrassing to me. By leveling the playing field and by attaching with the kid in that way, it makes it kindness instead of criticism. Uh, in you know a place where the kid can have a lot of you know love and know that they're not gonna they're gonna make a lot of mistakes and there's gonna be repairs and that's what love is and that is what embracing shame is is knowing. We all make mistakes and we can repair them. I first gave AG1 a try because I started taking my health more seriously. I started running and hitting the gym 
and paid a lot closer attention to my diet. But the more I learned about improving my health, the more overwhelmed I felt about what supplements to take. There's so much information out there about vitamins and supplements, and a lot of it's conflicting. But once I found AG1, I saw how I could support my entire body with one simple drink per day. Since drinking AG1 daily, I felt more energized and I recover from workouts faster. And an added bonus is I feel more focused throughout the day too. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's also simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here's your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash mentally stronger. That's drink. AG1.com slash mentally stronger. Check it out. Do you want to get high quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, mentally stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass fed beef free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. What are we seeing for side effects? So if somebody grows up with a fair amount of shame and they're really struggling with it, what happens to them when they're an adult? What kind of behaviors do you see or what kind of struggles are they more likely to have? Well... I talk about the inner conversation that we all have. If somebody walks into a room and they see anytime there's difference, there's shame. Anytime there is anything different, there's shame. And so being able to understand that if they walk into a room, there's an inner conversation going on. And maybe they're saying, what's wrong with me? Maybe they're saying, you know, what's nothing is right with me. Maybe they're comparing themselves to who else is in the room. So being able to say some of the things that happen, some people get depressed, some people have an eating disorder, some people are, you know, violent and hurt their children. Some people get have all of these different reactions to the mystery and the mystery is a multi-headed hydra called shame. By helping them understand that a lot of these things happen, this secret inner conversation that's going on, which is called, you know, the conversation of there must be something wrong with me, 
to be able to have that conversation with themselves, to be able to bring themselves forward with themselves and grow themselves, to be able to hold their shame and be able to hold their feelings and hold their embarrassment. And it happens slowly over time. And to be able to do these things a little bit and a little bit and every day have one moment where they do something right and transform little by little by little. Something I see in in my therapy office, and tell me if you do too, people who struggle with shame often engage in behavior that creates more shame, whether they develop a secret addiction or a secret eating disorder or something like that. And they don't dare tell anybody because they feel so much shame. And then it just grows and it grows bigger and bigger over time. Yeah. You know, I really love the questions you're asking me. Um, This is how I figured out how to work with my clients, Shane, when I was working in the hospital and I was the eating disorder specialist. And I would say to my clients, you know, we would be doing, you know, different, you know, processes and they would be filling out the forms and they would, you know, they were filling out, you know, different feelings. And and I was saying, well, you're filling out the form and you're writing all these different feelings about your body or about your eating disorder or about your depression. Is there like a secret conversation going on that's telling you you're not a good enough client because there's a secret conversation going on in me and I think I'm not a good enough therapist and I would share that a little bit. I would share with them about my inner critic because they're in the critic was voracious my inner critic was not as attacking me, but it was still a problem. So by telling them that maybe they're hoping that the shame, the eating disorder, coping, or the you know, the, you know, whatever they're doing to cope with the eating disorder, more food, less food, you know, cutting, whatever they're doing to cope with it that that's okay and to be able to get curious and find out what if that is a temper tantrum or that what if that is a way that they can't handle certain emotions and that there's their you know their body what if a binge is a temper tantrum you know and to be able to realize that there's all these emotions all their emotions are okay and to be able to have all their emotions okay and to not be shaming themselves in their emotions as much and a little bit could heal over time. Yeah, I like that. Because again, shame often perpetuates uh, bigger problems, which creates more shame. And interesting too, to be able to relate a lot of that back to childhood, sometimes the way that our parents treated us. And also, what's the link between shame and trauma? Because sometimes it's not just about what we do, but it might be about what happened to us. Yeah. Um, I love all your questions. Um, Your questions are deep, and they're always questions that, you know, sometimes when people come to me and they don't know, they think there's something wrong with them, 
And I might just tell them, you know, that maybe something happened to them that they had no control over. And maybe something happened to them, you know, before they came into therapy. And maybe whatever happened to them wasn't their fault. What if that was true? And then I start talking about that there's trauma. And sometimes there's trauma. Anytime there's trauma, there's going to be shame. There's going to be shame that they didn't protect themselves. There's going to be shame that they went along to go along, whatever it is that they tell themselves about what wasn't their fault. And I just pause and I tell them, you know, this is really important what you're saying. It wasn't your fault. And there's shame around trauma. And there's trauma around shame. And they build and they build and they build and they build and they build. And so to be able for me to say, that makes perfect sense to me. And we're changing it a little bit by a little bit. And what if by normalizing the shame, and what if by normalizing that, of course, there's shame around the trauma? What if, what if there wasn't something wrong with them? It's something that happened that was traumatic. Does that make sense? It does. So do you think is the goal to get rid of all of the feelings of shame or if we embrace it, does something else happen? Oh, I love that question. (laughs) I think I know that a lot of clients come to see me over the years and they're like, if I could just get rid of all the shame that I have, then I would be a perfect person. And I would say, okay, but what if there's a damn good reason that you have your shame. What if part of our developmental stages that we learn, we need to teach our kids, you know, to not run out. You know, they can, you know, they can be naked, you know, in the sun at home, but to not run out when they're strangers, to not go to preschool, you know, wearing, you know, nothing, you know, but they have to be, there's a little bit of healthy shame that teaches us how to have a boundary, how to set boundaries, how to have the big picture, how to have compassion for ourselves. And if there was no shame, then I think the world would be running amok and nobody would be able to say, you know, that there's reasons to have shame. There's reasons to have a little bit bit of shame, toxic shame, too much shame, but a little bit of shame can actually be helpful and it can actually be a guide to help us with our shame, to transform it into healthy shame or from toxic shame into healthy shame. Oh, so where's that line between when shame might be healthy, but when we might cross that line into it becoming unhealthy, what would we look for? Well, if somebody is, um, you know, shaming themselves and putting themselves down, you know, that they can't do it right. And they're just kind of like, uh, if they just, you know, are putting themselves down 24-7, you know, or they just can't feel like there's anything right about themselves, I say, keep a little bit of the shame, just a tiny bit of it, like a whisper of the shame, so that you can see 
and feel and remember that, yeah, something happened to them, but they're only going to keep like a whisper of that memory so that now they could use the whisper of the memory to have a better life. And that, you know, these questions you're asking are very profound for everyone that is going to be completely different. So I lean in to the client and I ask them that if they only had a whisper of shame instead of the all-pervasive shame, what might be different in their life? And I start to track with them and create what might be more of a whole life for them. And it's a co-created process with me and with them. I like that. So it's we can all ask ourselves that question. What if I only had a whisper of shame, what my life would be like? Tell me what you think about this. If I, let's say I made a mistake today. Let's say I forgot what time you and I were meeting and I showed up an hour late and you were already gone. If I were to think to myself, I'm a bad person, I'm an idiot, I can't keep track of time, as opposed to thinking, oops, I made a mistake. That's weird. I must have wrote down the time wrong. Is that the difference between maybe feeling uh, unhealthy shame when I start to beat myself up versus if I were to just think I made a mistake and I'm a human, which maybe I'd feel a little guilty, but not necessarily shame for who I am? That is exactly it, what you said. And it's brilliant, that example that you just had. It's you have a choice. And shame, when somebody's in toxic shame, they don't have a choice you know, they lose IQ points, they can't think right, you know, and so to be able to pause and say, well, maybe I got the time wrong, maybe she's not even going to sh show up, or maybe I, you know, maybe I will, you know, just, you know, have healthy shame and I'll show up anyway, or maybe I will, you know, apologize and try and do the interview anyway, or reschedule it anyway. Those are all taking steps to honor the healthy shame rather than the toxic shame. Okay. Because what I see too is when people slide into the toxic shame, then it often leads to other behaviors that they aren't proud of. They'll be like, well, I had to lie to cover something up. Or I got angry because I didn't want anybody to know that I had messed up, so I blamed somebody else. Or I lost my temper. and Or I hid. I didn't come out. Or I pretended like I, I didn't know somebody. And then they just feel worse and worse over time. Yeah. And those, those I'm going to call them as those are things that happen to a person. And there's, if we pause, there's a magic about the pause. If we can pause and we can say, wow, I did this and, or this happened and we can pause and say, wow, I didn't recognize that person I wish I had, or, oh, I was late, I wish I wasn't. Whatever happened, or somebody shouted, or whatever, maybe they can pause in the moment, or it, maybe it's later where they pause, do a reassessment with themselves, and say, wow, maybe, maybe that wasn't so bad, maybe... I could do it differently next time, or maybe I learned something about that, or maybe it's so embarrassing that they just, you know, they just can't, they just can't um, 
do with it. So to be able to, you know, befriend themselves and befriend the shame as if it was a small child and you can hold that little child's hand, put a little child on your lap and say, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just embarrassing to make these mistakes. We don't have to keep making the mistakes. There's a choice. And part of healthy shame is having a choice. And having the pause is part of, you know, the wonder of pausing and the wonder of embracing shame is that (laughs) it can create a pause. Even if something happened last week or last year or a lifetime ago, we can go back in time and we can say, I wish I had done this differently. If it happens again, I'll do it differently then. So is it fair to say that self-compassion is a big component in healing and working through shame? Yep. Self-compassion is key. And to be able to have even a little self-compassion, even 2% of self-compassion, and I do self-compassion like a hand on the heart, breathing in, and just having a little bit of self-compassion and saying, you know, I blew it. I have self-compassion and I'm going to not blow it as bad next time because I'm learning and I'm pausing and I'm growing. And I'm good enough just as I am. And being able to have self-compassion is like one of the magic keys to embracing shame. And I like your idea that you only need 2% self-compassion perhaps to get started. I think sometimes it feels overwhelming. People think I'm either self-compassionate or I'm not. And then they beat themselves up for not being self-compassionate enough. But if you can tell yourself, you just have to be a little bit self-compassionate and that can help you make progress, that seems freeing. And that is the missing piece, what you just said. A little bit of self-compassionate. That is, it is so freeing. And I used to have, you know, women years ago, that they would, you know, they would have an extra scoop of ice cream that wasn't on their diet and they broke the diet. So then they had to eat the whole bin of ice cream and then they were lost, you know, for, you know, days or weeks or months or years, you know, and I was like, you know, wait a minute, (laughs) let's slow this thing down. Let's have a pause and let's have a little bit of kindness and let's have a, eat a little bit of a place where you can have you know, the inner critic, as well as, you know, a positive place, a positive guide that can have, you know, all of the mistakes that are going to be made. And if we could have kindness around those mistakes, slowly, over time, things can change. Otherwise, what I heard you just say, too, is people tend to overindulge in something. They make a small mistake, so then they decide they might as well go full force. It's this idea that of self-sabotage, right? When people experience a lot of shame, sometimes they completely sabotage themselves. Yeah, I love your question. The self-sabotage is the name for that phenomenon. It is the black and white thinking, the self-sabotage, when somebody thinks, you know, they're, they blew it, so they might as well do, you know, all these things and continue with the self-sabotage, and it just goes down and down and down. That is where I see the all-pervasive shame. That is where I see toxic shame with the self-sabotage. 
And so, you know, in this book called Embracing Shame, I'm trying to have people have a pause where they pause, they're kind to themselves, they pause, and they have a little bit of compassion for themselves instead of continuing with the self-sabotage. There is suddenly a pause of having a little bit of kindness, a little bit of something that is, you know, that says, no wonder you're, no wonder you want to self-sabotage. No wonder you want to do that behavior because that's what always works before. No wonder you want to do that. And it's a part of you that has been doing that. Let's figure out where they came from. Let's counter shame the self-sabotage. Let's find a new way. Oh, I like that too about... Um, working on the the counter shame strategy, coming up with something instead of self-sabotage. One other thing. So last year I had the pleasure of speaking to uh, Terry Crews. He was an NFL player turned host of America's Got Talent. He wrote this book called Tough. And in his adulthood, he developed an addiction to pornography, really didn't like who he was becoming, but he had to hide it. And he said that it was the shame that was just so overwhelming that he didn't dare tell anybody about this horrible secret. He, he worked through it, got treatment, and it was in a much better place. And he said now he keeps a, a picture of his seven-year-old self taped to, uh, or in his wallet or taped to his laptop so that he could look at that. Because he said, whenever I feel like I'm a bad person, I look at that photo and I'm just reminded that I'm still that same person. And that seven-year-old kid wasn't a bad kid. He was completely innocent. And he said that's one of the most powerful things that helped him. And I keep hearing you talk about healing your inner child as well. How else can we do that? Oh, wow. I love your questions. <laughs> it's like, it's always the missing piece. It's like our inner child, if we can talk to our inner child and let them know they did the best they could and that we can transform what happened to us now, we can transform all those, you know, that seven-year-old, you know, I have my little seven-year-old taped to my, <laughs> to my computer, so I look at her before I do a talk, you know, so I can bring her in. And, but it's like talking to the seven-year-old, talking to the inner child and letting them know it wasn't their fault. They did the best they could. They were given, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, um, you know, a messed up deck. They were they were given, you know, a deck of cards that didn't really play real cards or whatever it is. You know, I was a magician as a kid, and you know, I had a deck of cards that I, you know, I could use the cards, you know, if I wanted to for a real deck. But if I wanted to have somebody pick a certain card, I could do that too. And it was like. You know, I grew up and I'm like, you know, well, that's not really fair. That's kind of cheating. You know, I want to use a full deck. <laughs> right. But to talk to the inner child and, you know, there's all these exercises in the book. I didn't want to write a book until there could be, because anytime somebody has shame, people go into shame. So I wanted to write a book about that was counter-shaming, so each page and even the cover 
is counter shaming and there's parts in there about the inner child and working with the inner child so it's like the exercises for the inner child and the understanding that shame happens when your inner child is triggered and of course shame happens when the inner child is triggered they didn't know what else to do so there's all these things that we can do instead of letting the inner child run amok we can love them we can hold them you know i have a little um you know, I have a little doggy, <laughs> which is, which is a, a giant cheetah. But when I'm doing sessions in our workshops, you know, the Healing Shame workshops, and I am holding this inner cheetah that my inner child, you know, calls doggy. Um, and I explain that in the classes, and I'm like, this is my doggy. I know it looks like a cheetah, but this is my doggy that has claws and that can protect my inner child if that needed to happen. You know, so in a session, you know, with a client or, you know, the Healing Shame Workshops, it's like I talk about, you know, the imaginal realm. I talk about, you know, this cheetah that could protect the person in the imaginal realm and so a lot of these things happen can heal through our imagination through going back in time with a therapist and transforming whatever happened looking at the little child and transforming and having kindness for the little kid and giving them a hug giving them you know a high five if they're you know <laughs> And I guess the last question for you then, Sheila, would be about um, how do we find the courage to talk about these things that are so shameful? Uh, we know from the statistics, something like 97% of people aren't honest with their therapist. And I don't know about you, but I've had people who've been in therapy for a very long time and they didn't dare tell me something. Sometimes it's after you know them for a year that they're like, hey, by the way, and they kind of tell you the rest of the story or they give you a little snippet. Because even though they're in a therapist's office and here they are in a non-judgmental environment, it's so hard for them to acknowledge either something that happened to them or a mistake that they made or a secret struggle that they have that people will pay money to come in every week and yet they really struggle to talk about it. So for somebody who's listening who says, I have this huge struggle and nobody knows, what do you say? Oh, my God. I start the sessions and I say, is there something that, you know, you're, you're so brave to sign up for therapy with me and there's a part of you that signed up for therapy that's good. And I wonder if there's another part of you that has done, you know, other therapy with other therapists that, you know, is too embarrassed or too ashamed or too stuck to name some of the things that you really wanted to talk about because I want to start there because I want to have that part be welcome. And so I'm welcoming the shame. I'm welcoming this other part. And often people will come to me and they'll say, you know, well, I never told them the therapist I had the picture, I never told the therapist that I was whatever, 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 drinking this, drinking that, whatever it was that they were doing or the drugs or whatever, because they were using, that was a way to cope with shame. And so I asked them, if you could heal that by telling me what you've never been able to bring into therapy, and that would shortcut 
the time of our work and also it would be more effective and efficient um, and kinder to this part of yourself that maybe really wants to be heard and hasn't been able to and maybe we could be on a team together and have a way to bring that forward. I love that. And I imagine that conversation invites a lot of people to, to find the courage to talk about it. So then I guess my last question is, I know I get this question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. What do you say when somebody says, yeah, but what happened to me or what I did was really bad. I don't want to be judged or I think you're going to be horrified when I tell you the truth. Yeah. Well, I get that a lot. And a lot of people think that, you know, what they did or what happened to them is, you know, unconscionable and unforgivable and all of that. And what I say to them is they say, um, because I work with shame, you would not believe the things that people have been through that they think nobody would forgive them. And I start with that and I say, you know, there's things that happen in me. I share a little bit about that as a therapist. And I say that sometimes things happen in my childhood that I had no control over that happened because of, you know, my family I was in and that because of that, you know, I, you know, I have great compassion for, you know, the stories that a person has to tell themselves to get through the night or the, you know, the, the you know, the, the place, you know, where they have to do to survive. And I, you know, I, we dip in and we dip out and I say that there's a place of unforgiveness and there's a place, you know, I, hold them in my heart, and then I'm like, I imagine Kuan Yin, who is, you know, beyond comprehension, you know, forgiving, um, you know, of anything that anybody did to them or that they did to anybody else, and that things can heal and transform over time with great kindness and great love. And they don't have to tell me the whole thing. They can just tell me a little bit. And then we dip in, then we dip out, we dip in, we dip out. Because we're building that interpersonal bridge that's going to heal the shame by them risking and telling me this. Well, Sheila Rubin, thank you for giving people a safe place to talk about things that are really uncomfortable and difficult. And thank you for your book, Embracing Shame. I have no doubt that you're reaching a lot of people who need who need help and things that they haven't known where to go or where to even start. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing all of your knowledge in this book as well. You're so welcome. I am so honored to have this interview with you today. Thank you, Sheila. Welcome to The Therapist Take. Let's break down some of my favorite strategies that Sheila shared. One, talk to somebody. The last thing that you want to do when you feel shame is tell somebody. Your shame will tell you that you have to keep this thing a secret. But talking about it is crucial to healing. Whether you tell a really good friend 
or you get professional help from a therapist, or you even join a support group, or maybe even join an anonymous online forum, just talking about something that you feel shame about might set you free. Shame lies to us. It will tell us that what we did is too awful or that something that happened to us is our fault or that everyone's going to hate us. Once you start talking about it, you'll see that you aren't alone. Of course, though, it's essential that you share those things with someone who can be trusted and won't use it against you later. Number two, accept that shame and trauma often go hand in hand. I like that Sheila said, with trauma come shame. It's true. I can't tell you how many people come into my therapy office who have experienced decades of shame because of something terrible that happened to them or to somebody in their family. And often people think that they're the exception to the rule. So a lot of people will say, yeah, no, childhood abuse is never somebody's fault or sexual assault isn't somebody's fault. But then when it comes to their own story, they'll think of things that they did that really makes them to blame or they feel shame because they didn't prevent it from happening. So it might be helpful just to accept that shame and trauma are linked. And just because you feel shame doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. And number three, reframe your shame. Pay attention to the thoughts that fuel your shame. When you're thinking that you have to hide something or that something is your fault, Take a deep breath and work on finding a different way to look at it. For example, if you're thinking I'm a bad person, reframe it to think I made a bad choice. Or when you're blaming yourself for somebody, remind yourself that you probably did the best you could at the time. A little self-compassion and kindness could go a long way toward helping you work through your shame. So those are three of Sheila's tips that can help you heal from shame and grow mentally stronger. Talk to somebody, accept that shame and trauma go hand in hand, and reframe the thoughts that fuel your shame. If you struggle with shame, I highly recommend checking out Sheila's book, Embracing Shame. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to the Mentally Stronger podcast. If you want more tips on building mental strength, subscribe to Mentally Stronger Premium. You'll get weekly bonus episodes where I answer your questions about everything from relationship problems and addiction to family dilemmas and mental health issues. You'll also get invited to our private community where you can get support for building mental strength. And I'll give you lots of exclusive extras for being a premium subscriber. Sign up at mentallystronger.supercast.com or just click on the link in the show notes. If you know somebody who could benefit from learning more about mental strength, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help somebody feel better and grow stronger. And if you like the show, leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. That's one of the best ways to help us get our show in front of other people so that we can make the world a stronger place. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who I think should be a guest on my show sometime, even though he doesn't want to, Nick Valentine. <laughs>